All right, uh, we are going to continue our series in the book of Revelation, we'll be in Revelation chapter 17 this morning, Revelation chapter 17. We'll look at all of the chapter while you're kind of getting situated in your copy of God's word. And if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. Uh, two things. First of all, we have good coffee. Have you noticed? Yeah. Good coffee showed up and we're thankful. Um, But we have really been post-COVID working on how can we begin to be hospitable with our people and with the people that come here. And we are looking to increase our our hospitality teams. And so if you're interested in serving in hospitality, that we might just connect people as they come here, we'd love to have you. You can go to the uh, volunteer center at the end of the service today and uh, and sign up and help us with hospitality. That would be great. The other thing that we are in, in dire need of is children's ministry volunteers. We have, I don't know if you know what happens in children's, children's ministry or if you even think about it, but each and every Sunday, we have the opportunity to partner with families to disciple the next generation. So we're putting inside of them, we're injecting every Sunday gospel truth. And it is probably maybe the one, one of the most important things that we do here. So you think about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? How does a family disciple their own kids? All of that partnership is taking place in those groups that happen on Sunday morning. And it's not going to be easy to be a disciple of Jesus 10 years from now, 20 years from now in this culture and context. And so that investment is key. And if you would like to serve uh, Next Generation Ministries, we'd love for you also to go to the Volunteer Center. Just let us know you're, you're interested and willing to help with that so that we can, uh, can kind of get you trained and situated and ready to go. So I appreciate it so, so much. All right. Uh, fair warning, this passage of Scripture is, is interesting. Uh, if you have kids in the room, there will be words that they're going to be asking you. What is that? And you'll have to explain it to them. Um, so stand with me. Revelation chapter 17 will begin uh, in verse 1 and read all the way through 18. If you're uh, new here, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what the scripture says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality and on her forehead was written a name of mystery babylon the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations and i saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints the blood of the martyrs of jesus When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. 
And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and it is not and it is to come. The calls for a, this calls for a mind of wis, with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only for a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. It makes sense, right? Need a little water for this. So this passage of scripture is difficult. In fact, in, in my view having studied at least the first 17 chapters in depth. Uh, this is the most difficult one to understand. Uh, but I think at a high level, it is, it is very clear. And that's what I want to focus on today because it'd be really easy to get stuck. Um, Revelation chapter 17 is about the judgment of apostasy. So we have been looking at the book of Revelation, we divided it into three sort of mini-series or three sections. The first one was the, the seven, seven churches, letters to seven churches. The second section, kind of this big middle section that we've been in for a while, is called the New Exodus. And it's a picture of how God is bringing the people, his people, out of bondage and brokenness in, in, through judgment and into promise or the final promised land. And this is beginning to be the end of that. So we'll have will be in judgment of apostasy today. We'll, we'll actually attend a funeral for, for Babylon, the hub of all evil next week. Sounds fun, Julie, right? We're going we're gonna to do that. And then uh, we'll begin a new section that is all about the restoration of all things. We'll see how Jesus is making everything new and we'll, we'll be ex super excited to see that eternity and how things come together. But today we come to the judgment of, of apostasy I want to read a quote by a commentator, a theological commentator, R.H. Mounts. It says this, every great center of power that has prostituted its wealth and influence restores to life the spirit of ancient Babylon. I want you to hang on to that for just a minute. I'll say it again. Every great center of power that has prostituted its wealth and influence restores to life the spirit of ancient Babylon. 
So we're going to hear from John this morning, John chapter 17. He's going to give us historical context, but he's also is going to give us what was revealed to him about eschatological Babylon or the end times Babylon. And Babylon in the, in, in, the, in the scriptures is a metaphor for the hub of evil. Uh, it was evil. Babylon was evil the evil place you know but as we move forward from the destruction of babylon and the diaspora and all that it is just used over and over again as this metaphor for all evil uh and again next week we get to attend the funeral of babylon which i'm excited to preach then we come to the purpose of this chapter revelation chapter 17 1 to 2 Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So here is the purpose. The angel, the revealer, is going to show John what happens in judgment to the great prostitute. Now, the question becomes like, who is that? Very quickly. What is that? Who is that? So whenever we see in the context of scripture from beginning to end, prostitution and whoredom used in this sense for a nation, for a city, for a movement, for a culture, it is apostasy. It reveals a city or a kingdom of people, a leader that propagates infidelity toward God. So like sometimes uh, Israel is actually called a whore, a prostitute. The reason is that she is worshiping idols under every tree in Israel while at the same time she worships God. And in that way, she is prostituting herself as a nation. As a people of God, this kind of whoredom or prostitution is the, is the movement that we're talking about here. And you can see other places, other nations where this plays out. Nahum chapter 3 verse 4, Isaiah 121, Jeremiah 220, among other things. But when people cheat on God with other gods, this is prostitution in this sense that we're looking at today and this is now we're talking about the great prostitute so this is either a city a location a leader a person or all of that that is pushing on the kings of the earth and the global population of the earth an influence that is completely and totally unfaithful to god and in rebellion to god and this is the, the, the whoredom of chapter 17 that has been playing out all the way to this point when the great prostitute is judged. Uh, the prostitute is described. So she's described in, in chapter 17, 1 to 6. And I'll just kind of run through this to describe her. She's seated on many waters. So that will be interpreted for us later in this chapter. The many waters are people, nations, multitudes, languages. So she has influence over many, many, many peoples and cultures. Uh, the kings of the earth have conspired with her, according to chapter 17. So she has alliances with powerful kings all over the earth. The dwellers of the earth are drunk on her immorality. So her influence, her propaganda, her message, her ways, the, the global population is literally drunk on her way. 
right? They are taking it in and they are uh, drunk on the things that, that she propagates. It says that she is seated on a scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns, and we'll get to that. It says she is clothed in purple. Her garb is full of gold and jewels and pearls. So <clears throat> the purple robes with gold and jewels and pearls. This is either royalty or religion or some combination of the both. Okay. Now, a lot of people think it may be religion simply because the next description is she is holding a golden cup full of abomination and impurities of her sexual immorality. So you've got this sort of like priestly garment, priestly robe. Now you've got this cup, what is used in religion for centuries and centuries and centuries. But inside that cup is not the, the cup of wine that represents the blood of Jesus. We're talking about abominations and sexual immorality. Incidentally, there are, you know, you, you want to put your finger on just exactly who this great prostitute is. And scholars try to do it. So the Roman Catholic tradition is, this is really a metaphor for the great war that takes place between Jerusalem and Babylon through the ages that culminates here. That's the, generally the Roman Catholic tradition. The Reformed tradition from Luther till, till now, basically, the Reformed tradition is, no, it's the Catholic Church. If you know anything about the Reformed tradition, you know, they pulled away from the Catholic Church uh, and formed Protestantism. And they look at this and they see priestly robes. Uh, they see a cup and and you're going to see geography in a minute, Rome. And they're going to say this is apostate religion coming out of Rome. Okay, so this is uh, the Reformed tradition. Other biblical mainline scholars would say, no, this is apostate Israel. What I'm saying to you clearly is I don't know. Have you ever heard a pastor say that? I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know exactly who it is, but we, we do have some, some high-level uh, thoughts. So she is, it's described, she, she has a mystery written on her forehead. And if you look, uh, if you look at chapter 17... Uh, verse 5, it says, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. So she is the, the, the hub of all evil. This is like the focal point of that. She is the mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. So she is giving birth to everything that is uh, in, 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 unfaithful to God and in rebellion to God and the influences and philosophies and ways of the world. Um, her influence permeates the earth. Now, I'll, I'll remind you that when John receives this vision, and it's, it's then written down and read to the original churches in Asia Minor, is about AD 95. Domitian is the emperor in Rome. They would have heard this originally and thought... This is Rome, and you're going you're gonna to see why uh, in, in a moment. But her influence permeates the earth. So Rome, the Roman Empire, its influence permeated the earth. It permeates the earth to this day. Okay, this is a simple example. Uh, 
how this room is set up. We're in rows. This is a Western way to educate. We have theater. You see what I'm saying? This is very Western. It's Roman, and it's Greco-Roman, and it's, it's nature. We have a gymnasium over there and a gymnasium back there. It's both, it's Roman. Gymnasium is where education happened in Rome. And the Agora for this area is Baybrook Mall. That's the, the shopping, right? That's, that's, a, that's a Roman Agora over there. Even they added the outside part. I'm telling you, they dig that up. They're going to think they're in uh, Rome. You know, a thousand, a thousand years from now. If you look at how our political system set up, our town squares, our government building, even our federal capital in Washington, D.C., all the archaeology columns, how we do government, a Senate, all that kind of stuff, it's all Roman. It's all Roman. So Roman culture permeates to this day. But in those days, Roman, the Pax Romana was permeating everywhere, even, you know, out of out of Italy and and Europe into the Middle East. And it's just a crazy amount of influence. And with her, she brings religion. Okay, so she, she, she's, she worships multiple gods and she uses religion as a mouthpiece for her propaganda. That's what Rome does. Okay. So uh, a temple to Aphrodite or Artemis, and they're going to they're going to use that worship to Artemis to to uh, to send a message about who Rome is and all those kinds of things. It also says that she drinks the blood of saints and martyrs. So she is a killer of Jesus people. Specifically, Jesus people, she's threatened by this risen Nazarene and his followers. And uh, I think that's because she in the spiritual recognizes true authority. All right. So this is the great prostitute. Now, Revelation chapter 17, verse four, it gets sort of 14 gives us uh, also an understanding of um, mission. And the mission is that she's going to come together with the beast and make war on the lamb. Now, who is this beast? Again, we talked about the beast, but this is beast number one from Revelation chapter 13, verse one. Beast number one. This is the beast from the sea. Um, the mystery is revealed in 17, 7 to 13. And even as it is revealed, if I'm John, I'm asking myself at the end of the revelation, that didn't help. You know, what, what, what in the world is the mystery that you're revealing? It's, it's a little unclear. But we do learn some things that are very clear. This beast, number one, uh, from the sea, it says in verse 8 uh, of chapter 17, that the beast that you saw was and is and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. It was and is and is not is about to rise from the bottomless pit. Now, Revelation 13, 3 told us of the beast, number one, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So again, we still have this story of beast number one. He was, he was not or is not, and he is to come. All right. So he was, but then he apparently died and came back again. Now, this mimics 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, where John greets us in the name of Jesus, and he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So this is the Antichrist, beast number one. This is the Antichrist. Um, it, it, it says in, in, in verse 8 of chapter 17 that dwellers of the earth whose name is not written in the book of the life, they will marvel at the beast because it was and is not and is to come. So they will say, like, this, is, this must be the one because he died and he's back. Right? He, he was, he is not, and he is to come. It's, it's a mimic of Jesus. At least it looks like that, that, that is what happened on the, 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 the lowest level. So verse 9 tells us something that is very important. This calls for a mind with wisdom. This calls for a mind with wisdom. It will take the discernment of the Holy Spirit and the understanding of truth to separate what is true and what is false. In understanding and interpreting this. Now, it says that the beast and the woman, it begins to sort of describe them a little bit more. And it says that the woman sits on seven mountains in 17.9. Rome is the city of seven hills. Everybody knows Rome is the city of seven hills. If John is receiving this and hears that the woman sits on seven mountains, instantly he's going to think she sits uh, in, in the hub of what is the most powerful nation on the planet, a powerful empire on the planet in that moment, Rome. It says that there are seven kings in verse 10, seven kings, five who have fallen, one is present, the other is future, and will be short-lived. They'll be there for like an hour to exaggeration or under exaggeration, however you want to say it. But there's seven kings, five who have fallen, one is present. Scholars try to do, do some things with that to make it make sense in our historical annals. Very difficult to do, honestly, but they choose five emperors. The current emperor in the time of, of John, which is Domitian, they work back from there five. They almost get back to the beginning, but not quite. So, so the math doesn't exactly, um, math doesn't exactly uh, work. But some say it's five emperors. It's the emperor during the time of John, and it's one that has not yet come. Other scholars suggest five powerful nations gone by. It's already like the Persian Empire, Babylonian Empire, all that stuff. They've already gone by, and one present superpower, in this case, which would be Rome during the time of their writing, and one to come. But the best scholarship is broad, saying, literally, we're not sure. We're just not sure exactly. However, the spirit of the Antichrist has been there, whether it's kings or nations, emperors or politicians, whatever. The spirit of the Antichrist has been there in the past, in the first five, is there in the present, and will be there on the seventh one. Now, seven is a number of completion in the scriptures. And John, if you read the book of John, you're going to see that he pays attention to that. Seven is a number of completion. But we get this, and I think it's an interesting uh, and important detail that John gives us here. Uh, verse 11, as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. 
So the beast is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. The seven, that's the completed number of kings, completed number of nations, waves of effort of the spirit of the Antichrist. That is complete. Eight means the start of something new and different. Okay, so like you look in the scriptures like uh, six days the Lord created on the seventh day he rested. Eighth day was beginning of something new, a new, a new week. John uses this in the book of John, the gospel of John. He tells us there are seven miracles that identify Jesus. Starts with the water of the wine and works through the resurrection of Lazarus. Seven miracles. It's complete. He must be the Messiah. But there's an eighth miracle in the book of John. The eighth miracle is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the start of something new. That's a huge shift. This is what's happening here. The seven are complete. The eight are something is the start of something new. And it says the beast is the eighth, which is telling us this is a new and final push of evil against the lamb to take over. This is the Antichrist final push. This is what we see here. Now, um, here's what we learned, though. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. We learn that they make war on the lamb, the beast and the great prostitute and the kings. They make war on the lamb, but it says the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. So here's the bottom line. They make war with the lamb, but the lamb wins. That's where you go. Amen. Hallelujah. We win. Jesus wins. I mean, if you look at this, if you look at this over and over again and you study it intently, just this verse 14, they make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Come on. It's like you lost an hour of sleep or something. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. Here we go. He's over all of it. He's sovereign over all of it. Now, this is an interesting thought, but it's clearly here in the context of the scripture. He, he's over the kings of the earth that make alliances with the great prostitute. He's over the Antichrist. He's not like a, a, an underdog who like is going to come back in the last minute and, and shoot the final basket or score the final goal or kick the final field goal. And somehow the underdog won. He's not that at all. There's no dualism. He will prevail. I, I think about what he told his disciples. You think about being a disciple of Jesus, one of the, 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 the original 12 for, for a minute. So you walk around with Jesus for three years. And you learn, you see things. Seven miracles that John laid out for us in the book of John. How many of you have ever seen water turn to wine? That would blow your mind. 
He's casting out demons. He's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching and crowds of people are following him. He's going viral so much so that he's climbing up high mountains to escape from people just to get a little break and some time with his father. He walks on water. He takes five loaves and a few fish and feeds 5,000. He does it with 4,000 in another place. They see all this. They give their whole life to him. He's like, you're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. They, they think they know what that means, and they follow him. And he's crucified for insurrection outside of Jerusalem. They see him hang on the cross, die on the cross, pulled off the cross. They see the Roman soldiers check him to make sure he's dead, and they think he's dead. They put him in a tomb not far from where he was crucified, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They seal it with a stone and a Roman seal. And if they didn't think he was dead before, now they know he's dead, dead. And then a day goes by and another day. And on the third day, Mary and Mary show up and Joanna and some others, they show up and he's not there. He's, he's risen. And they go back and they tell the disciples And John's one of them who's getting this revelation currently. And he's got to think, so we saw him even after he died. And then he ascended from the Mount of Olives and, and he said he's coming back. And then he told us, you know, show up in Jerusalem for Sukkot because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. They show up, they get the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches 3,000 men come to Christ, plus women and children. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, goes out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth where in 95 AD, John is on the island of Patmos in prison and he's receiving this vision. And he has to remember what Jesus said. Right before he ascended to heaven, he has to remember. It had to be a moment when Jesus said this. After he rose from the dead, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's what we're beginning to see here. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer him for he's Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. Their names are written in the book of life. I mean, the, the scripture points to the unrighteous will be judged by the righteous King. He's the only one that has authority to judge. The unrighteous will be ruled by the righteous. According to revelation, it is all being restored. Even in the judgment of apostasy and this great prostitute that represents apostasy. Revelation chapter 17, 15 to 18, it tells us how the judgment takes place. It says in verse 15, the waters where the prostitute is seated. This is people, multitudes, nations, and languages. In verse 16, it tells us that the ten horns and the beast turn on the prostitute. They hate her and destroy her. Look at verse 16, just so you, you, you understand. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. That's the king, the kings and the antichrist or the nations and the antichrist. They will hate the beast. They will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Now, here's one thing we learn uh, in, in the annals of history. His, uh, history would say that evil always turns on evil eventually. And this is what happens here. Now, we've seen this before. If you're John, you've seen something very much like this before in the story of the great Elijah. 
because he fought 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Uh, How did we get there? Well, there was a lady whose name you know named Jezebel. Jezebel was a Canaanite princess who married an Israelite king. And she brought with her Baal and she promoted Baal and her message was Canaanite Baalism. And by the time she had a little time in Israel, the people of Israel were worshiping God and worshiping Baal. And this is one of those times we get, they were whoring, they were prostituting themselves spiritually. And then, you know, we get Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal and he defeats these 400 prophets of Baal and the power of God. He goes on, we kind of stop there, but the scripture goes on and tells us Jezebel was eaten by dogs in the street. And that is what happens here in Revelation chapter 17. This great prostitute, this propaganda warrior for evil has been utterly destroyed by her own people. The alliances she made, the nations she thought followed her, uh, whatever, they they destroy her. Um, Revelation chapter 19, verse 2. Fast forward a little bit. It says, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. That's why we're practicing this morning so we can get it right when we get... Right here. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Because remember, she was drunk on the blood of his servants. Justice has been executed perfectly right here by a perfectly just God and heaven cries out. Hallelujah. He is restoring all things a couple things we should think about in closing what do you do with all that how do you live in light of it right because there's no way that we have revelation chapter 17 we hold it in our hands except for the purposes of god to make sure that we have this message so how do, we, how do we live because of it? And there are a couple things I have that come to mind by way of application that I think we should, we should really consider. First of all, recognize in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, those who are standing with Jesus are, are called, chosen, and faithful. They're called, chosen, and faithful. Now, Jesus said a couple things about people like that. He said, there's a wide road, a lot of people walking, but my way is a narrow path. Anybody can walk it, but few find it. This is the narrow path of discipleship, the narrow path of Christianity. It's like you take up your cross, you deny yourself and you follow him. That's who's standing there. Those that are chosen, called, and faithful. We hear words like chosen in our tradition. We get kind of freaked out in our head about God. Let me just say to you, in the scripture, there's a very clear tension that you cannot get your head around. The tension is this. We want it to be just like I accepted God into my heart. 
I accepted Jesus into my heart. I have the power to accept Jesus into my heart. And in a sense, there is, there is this, clearly in the scripture, there is this, like, you have to believe, you have to have faith, you have to confess. Yeah? That's action that you do. There's always our part. But don't leave out God's part, because God's part in the scripture says that he's chosen you and he's called you. And it's attention, it's not one or the other. He chose you and you chose him back. And you want to put that in categories theologically, I'm just telling you, you can't do it. It's attention in the scripture. His Holy Spirit wooed you. You would not know of Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Not in a personal relationship, not in a way that changes and transforms your life. That's the wooing of the Holy Spirit. But you did. You humbled yourself. You repented. You could, have, you, could have, you could have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. But you did. You repented and you followed. It's those people, chosen, called, and faithful, that stand with him in that time. And I'll tell you this now. Like, it, it, even if that's for a future time and the time we live in uh, is, is, is not then, but it's now. It's still the people that are called, chosen, and faithful that are the Jesus people. There's a difference between religion and called, chosen, and faithful. Anybody can do religion. It's a few that hear and obey Jesus and walk with him. Religion, here's the second kind of thing. Religion is, when, when it's only religion, it's a powerful force and can be leveraged for evil. In the end here, like we have a great prostitute in Revelation chapter 17 that's using religion, politics, entertainment, sport, all of it to seduce the world and forward satanic purposes. Ways that people will hear and enjoy and love. And that's how they push propaganda. I, I wish that I could, some of you I will, I, I wish I could take all of you to stand in uh, a, a temple in Asia Minor. And explain to you for four hours, because that's how long it would take, how much Rome used religion as a mouthpiece for the message of Rome. It's very effective. It's very effective. And the Antichrist would do that. The beast would do that. The great prostitute would do that because we are wired for God. And if he can get us or she can get us, however you want to look at it in this context, two clicks off with philosophy and propaganda, uh, there can be utter destruction. Religion, when it's leverage for evil can be a powerful force and because of that we need to do what the scripture says we need we need to understand this calls for a mind with wisdom just because we think it and feel it doesn't make it true we have to be guided by the spirit and his word i'm telling you when the this whatever the beast number one the antichrist shows up there will be people if Twitter still exists, who all say they're Christians, all arguing about who that is. Lots of different angles. Why? Because they can't tell a counterfeit from the real thing. Because they don't know Jesus. 
They know about Jesus. They know religion, but they don't they walk with him. They don't know what it's like to, to walk with him. And here's the thing, like this does call for a mind with wisdom. It calls from discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit. We have to be guided by the spirit and his word, which means not does not mean you need to go to seminary. It does not mean that you can only find that in listening to a pastor. It means that you need to open your scriptures, pray, hear from Jesus, and obey him. That's it. That's discipleship. Hear him and obey him. We get a lot of messages. We get a lot of propaganda. We get a lot of people screaming a lot of things, a lot of different really effective ways. They will use entertainment, media, sport, uh, sexual immorality. What else am I leaving out? Education. They'll use all of that for propaganda. How will you tell what's true and what's not? In these days, you will not be able to tell apart from a discerning spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you and walking in the truth, the truth of God's word. So you need to practice now. You need to teach your children how to do it, how to hear and obey. Because, man, just think 20 years ago, things were different. It's a lot more confusing now. 20 years from now, it's again the world, the culture, everything's going to be a lot more confusing than it is right now. How will they hear? How will they obey? How will they know the truth? Because everybody's telling them lies. And so uh, we need to know religion, when it's only religion, is a powerful force and can be leveraged for evil. And in some sense, Revelation 17 is a judgment of apostate religion. Here's the third and final thing that I'd say. Consider the might of the Lamb. Consider the might of the Lamb. Of the Lamb. If you're just reading the book of Revelation, after we get through the seven churches and we start reading all these judgments, all these bad things that are happening, and we see a beast, and then another beast, and then a great prostitute, and all the kings are following them. If you're living during that time, you're going to think uh, they're in charge, they're in control, they have all the power, they have all the money. Everything they say, everybody does. Who could beat them? No one. That's what you'd be thinking if you were living in that, that moment. I, I would encourage you to consider the might of the Lamb of God. John did not accidentally choose the words he wrote in, in verse 14 when he said, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know when, when Caesar shows up from Rome? Let's say he comes to Priene in Asia Minor, where they worship Caesar. And he rolls into town, and he doesn't just roll into town. There's, for lack of a better term, a huge parade, military, leading up to the temple, sacrifices, all that kind of stuff. You know what people say when he goes by? Hail Caesar, King of kings, Lord of lords. You know what John's saying? Hail Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. They will make war on the lamb. He's saying this from prison. Domitian put him in prison. They will make war on the lamb. 
they will not win. This is our God. So the world feels kind of crazy, has for a while, feeling crazier and crazier. You can ask guy number seven on the street, has anything changed in the last couple of years? They're like, yeah, some kind of, it's just shifty out there. It's kind of sketchy. It doesn't have to be a Christian to know that. Confusing, unclear. Here's one thing that's not unclear. The might of our God. The victory of the Lamb, the hope of Christ. And next week, next week we're going to read, I separated these two on purpose. You might normally preach 17 and 18 together if you had six hours or something, but they go together. 18 is a funeral dirge. And I thought, maybe we just skip over that. No, no, let's celebrate the funeral of Babylon as Jesus is restoring all things. And let's remember his might and his power and what that does for me practically. Like long-term, big goals, like I get 30,000 feet. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. We're going to be with him forever. But But how does that change the direction of my feet today? The work of my hand, what my hands do today, the things that come out of my mouth today, how I love my neighbor today, how I love my enemy today, how I spend time in God's word today. How does the might and authority of Jesus change all that? And that's what matters today. It doesn't matter if it was like Tiberius, Caligula, Domitian, Nero. We don't, it doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus is king of kings. And Lord of Lords, you should bow your head and close your eyes and just ask him to speak to you. Jesus, we bow before you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for loving us, for giving yourself for us. Thank you for making us uh, your own. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit this day, fresh and new, that we would walk in your power, that we would hear you and obey you. I thank you that you're restoring all things. I thank you that all propaganda and empty philosophy and satanic uh, sinister ways and its impact on the world will all be judged and that you will restore all things. But today, God, I pray, would you help me help us to walk under the banner of what is the theme of Revelation? Jesus is Lord. Well, if you're Lord, I'm not. I'm your servant. And so help me walk as your servant today. Help us to walk as your people today, as your servants. Use our hands for your glory, the words of our mouth for your glory, the direction of our feet for your glory. Give us discernment and wisdom that comes from you. Help us to know the truth and walk in it. For anyone here, Father, who doesn't know about the personal 
relationship they can have with you through Jesus. God, I pray that you would draw them by your spirit, that they would know the truth, and the truth would set them free from sin and shame and guilt. And Lord, that you would invade their life and give them a fresh new start, a new eternity, a new identity in you. We love you. And, um, you know, we trust you to do your part, God. Just like you say you will, help us to do our part. In Christ's name, amen.